Morning, church. Life of David, here we are. Excited for this series. Uh, not entirely sure how this is going to go, actually. Uh, this is the first time we're really preaching through several books, spanning several books, all focused on uh, God's work through one particular person. But I'm looking forward to it. Let's turn to the Lord now in a word of prayer, and then let's dive into 1 Samuel chapter 16. Father, we want to acknowledge that we're here to praise your name, to be strengthened together by your word. Lord Jesus, we want to see you lifted up this morning in our worship, including the preaching of your word. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would strengthen me to preach your word with love and conviction pray that you would help us all to come under the authority of your word. Bring comfort where there's discouragement. Bring correction where there's rebellion. Bring strength where we're weak. Lift our eyes to the gospel. Help us to see in a fresh way this morning what you, Father, Son, and Spirit have orchestrated together for our redemption. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. It's hard to say whether there are more leaders failing in our generation than in generations past. It could be that the internet, maybe social media in particular, both stokes our sinful cravings and then provides us with access to see those sinful cravings all the way through. Or it could be that the internet has just increased our visibility on what's happening in faraway places. Either way, though, the moral failures of leaders may cause us to question the goodness of human authority itself. You hurt and you disappoint people enough, and it's harder and harder to trust. We become suspicious and critical. Maybe you're here this morning and you've just about given up on the notion of good human authority. The problem, though, isn't human authority. It's human authority that doesn't submit to God. The problem is human authority that rejects God's word, human authority that ignores God's ways, and human authority that despises God's heart. That's the problem. Now, we begin this morning a long journey through the life of King David of Israel. His story spans portions of 1 Samuel, all of 2 Samuel, and the beginning of 1 Kings. And we're dropping into the Bible's story just after Israel, God's people, the people that he rescued out of the land of Egypt, the people he made his very own covenant people. We drop in the story when they reject God as king. Instead, they want a human king. They want to be like other nations around them. Now, this morning's sermon is partly intended to set up the whole first part of our sermon series through the life of David, a shepherd for God's people. And so we're going to fly a little bit higher and try to understand why Israel rejected God as their king, why Saul failed as their first king, and why God chose David in particular to be their next king. 
God selects his shepherd king based on the quality of that person's heart, not his impressive outward appearance. That's what we find in David. But even in the human king that God will provide for his people, that human king is not ultimate. Though good, human authority submitted to God cannot be ultimate. It cannot be our ultimate source of hope and strength. We cannot anchor our hope in human authority, even when it's generally good. Because we all know humans will fail us. And instead, the call to us this morning, the call through all of this first part of the life of David is to put our hope in something grander, something more stable, someone more eternal than a human king. To take refuge in the one who died for the sheep, who rose again in power, and who will reign forever righteously over his people. Here's the main idea this morning. Behold the powerful good shepherd that God has provided. Behold the powerful good shepherd that God has provided. When you go to a wedding, the whole assembly beholds the bride when she steps through the doors at the back of the church. That's beholding. You behold a brilliant sunset at the beach. That's beholding. You behold a newborn baby when you see it for the first time. There's something awe-inspiring, something magnificent, something even worshipful when you're beholding the right thing. When bad leaders fail, and when good leaders fail, behold the powerful good shepherd that God has provided. Look at verses 1 through 5, where we see a rebellious shepherd rejected. Verse 1, 1 Samuel chapter 16 The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul? I've rejected him as king and I've established another king. I want you to go to Bethlehem and I want you to anoint a king from among Jesse's sons. And we need to drop back for a minute and remind ourselves why Israel even has a king. Why they even have a human king over them. Flip back, if you will, to 1 Samuel chapter 8, where we find a chilling moment in Israel's history. 1 Samuel 8, verse 1. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. Verse 3. Yet his sons didn't walk in Samuel's ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and they perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to Samuel, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. Verse 7. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. I just think about our series through Exodus. Think about all that God did to rescue his covenant people from slavery in Egypt and to covenant with them for their good. And they come into the land that God has provided and now they've rejected God as their king. They want a king that they can see. They want a visual representation 
of the person who is going to protect and provide for them. They have a divine king, but they don't want a divine king alone. God warns them that this human king will reign over them in some dangerous ways. They are trading a righteous, holy God for a flawed human king. And there will be natural consequences for doing this. Now, Israel selects Saul as their first king. And we'll see why they do this in a few minutes. But for now, we need to know this. Saul may look like a king. Saul may have the appearance of a king. But Saul does not have the heart of a king. At least not God's king. The foundational problem in King Saul's heart is that he rebels against God's authority. He obscures God's heart. He ignores God's word. And he rejects God's ways. When the cards are down, when it counts, Saul rebels against God's authority. And his rebellion grows until it blossoms with rotting flesh in 1 Samuel 15. In 1 Samuel 15, God gives Israel a hard assignment. He tells Israel to go and attack the Amalekites and to completely eradicate them. The Amalekites have mistreated Israel horribly when they fled from Egypt about 500 years earlier. And God's just punishment against the Amalekites will be dispensed through his covenant people. There are no judges. There are no international courts. It is up to God's covenant people to distribute justice on the earth in this context. And King Saul's job directly from the Lord is to extinguish the Amalekites. This is hard to read, but it includes every living thing among the Amalekites. Now, King Saul destroys all the people, but he leaves the king of the Amalekites, Agag. And then he destroys all the living things, but he spares the best of the cattle and the sheep and the lambs and the fatted calves. And when Samuel arrives, King Saul greets him. The Lord bless you, Samuel. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. And then Samuel replies, Then what is the bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is the lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul tries to dance his way out of this, but Samuel cuts him off so he doesn't further impugn himself. Enough. You did not obey the voice of the Lord. You've done what is evil. What has he done that's evil? Instead of executing a just penalty for the Amalekites, you've pounced on the plunder. And so the old prophet Samuel asks to borrow a sword, and he kills Agag, king of the Amalekites. Saul rebelled against God's authority. Saul obscured God's truth. And the climactic moment comes in 1 Samuel 15, verse 23, where Samuel says to Saul, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, you've come underneath, out from underneath God's authority. You've rejected the word of the Lord. He has also rejected you from being king. The people of Israel reject God as their king and they appoint Saul over them. And now, Saul has and now God has rejected Saul as their king because he has rejected the word of the Lord. They chose a man who had the appearance of a king, but that king failed them, rebelling against God, and now God has rejected him. Now look at verse 2. 
And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel understands what he's just done. He's just publicly rebuked the king of Israel. He's told him that God has rejected him as king. And if he's seen going to anoint a new king, he understands what's going to happen to him. Verse 4. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the city came to meet him trembling. Why are they trembling? Because this is the prophet that just killed Agag. This is the prophet who just stood up to the king of Israel and said, that's it. You're out of rope. You will no longer be the king. God will appoint someone else in your place. And so the elders of Bethlehem come out to Samuel trembling with fear. What have we done that the prophet has come to Bethlehem? Verse 5, Samuel said to them, I come peaceably. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. So consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And Samuel consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Israel rejects God as king because they long to be like other nations. They want a human leader that they can see who will protect and provide for them. Human leaders leading under God's authority bring leadership and authority that's a blessing to those they lead. When leaders lead under the authority of God and his word, it is a blessing for those who are led. For example, 2 Samuel 8, verse 15. David reigned over all Israel, and David administered justice and equity to all his people. When David reigns under God's authority, he administers justice and equity to all the people under his reign. He leads Fairly, He leads according to God's ways. Or here's David's last words captured in 2 Samuel 23, where he says, The God of Israel has spoken, the rock of Israel has said to me, When one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. Human authority is a blessing when human authority submits to God's authority. But when leaders stop submitting to God's authority, they are susceptible to abuse or abdication. King Saul shows favoritism to King Agag and leaves him alive. He kills the sick and old animals, but keeps the healthy and strong ones alive. And then he lies to Samuel and God about his intentions. King Saul has rejected the Lord's word. He fails the people that he's meant to serve, and God has rejected him as king. And so the obvious application point here is that we must insist on leaders who submit to God's word, who delight in God, and therefore delight in God's word. This is every level of leadership, from Christian parents in homes to Christian husbands in marriages, to Christian bosses in jobs, to Christian coaches of teams, to Christian teachers in classrooms. Live under the authority of God's word. Now I'm very aware that I'm saying this in a generation when pastors are abusing and abdicating authority as well. Either exercising domineering spiritual authority 
using the Bible as a weapon for selfish gain, not sacrificial service, or abdicating the authority God has given them by cowardly abandoning truth in the face of a hostile culture or surrendering to the demands of people rather than delighting in the fear of God. We can lose our sense of authority either by abusing that authority, overleading, or by abdicating our authority and underleading. And either is a disservice to the church. We need faithful shepherds who will delight in God's heart and God's ways. And we find one in Bethlehem. A faithful shepherd anointed. Look at verse 6 and 7. When they came, Samuel looked on Elab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. Notice how many times see or look is found in verse 7. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Samuel needs to be challenged at this point. He was challenged earlier for continuing to grieve Saul. Now Samuel is challenged for using the same rubric that Israel used the first time in selecting their second king. Eliab was probably a great guy. And based on God's correction of Samuel, he's probably strapping and king-like. He, he looks the part of a king. But this happened before, when Israel picks their first king based on appearance. You could flip back to 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1, where we read, There was a man of Benjamin whose, na whose name was Kish, a Benjamite, a man of wealth. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Which might mean he had a really long neck. I don't know. <laughs> Saul may have looked the part of a king, but Saul did not have the heart of a king, at least not the way that God did the math. For the Lord sees not as man sees, Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And here's what we find in King Saul's life. He didn't fail in a moment. Saul's failure begins with a pinhole leak that grows over time. Our failures usually won't happen in a moment either. Satan leans in and is too cunning for a frontal assault. Our failures usually start small and they grow. We make small concessions, small compromises, a little bit less transparency, a little bit more in the shadows, a little less spiritual hunger. See, if we go back even further than the episode with the Amalekites, we come to 1 Samuel 13. And in 1 Samuel 13, Saul is tremendously nervous. The Philistines have arrayed themselves in battle before the Israelite army. And the Philistines' foot soldiers are like the sand on the seashore. And they have chariots. And Israel is greatly outnumbered. And in fact, it seems that there are only two swords even owned in the army of Israel by Saul and Jonathan. And the army is understandably shaking at the sight of this Philistine army. And Samuel is late. Samuel has said, I will come and make a sacrifice before the battle. 
And Saul looks at the Philistine army and he looks at the Israelite army and the Israelite army begins to disappear in twos and threes and tens. They're running from the battle line because they see the size of this Philistine army. And Paul is thinking, Saul is thinking, I'm the man, I'm the king, I'm supposed to provide and protect for my people. My army is leaving. But the most important thing is that the sacrifice is made. It's not important who makes the sacrifice. We just need to make a sacrifice. And so Saul makes the sacrifice. And as soon as he finishes, Samuel arrives. And Samuel rebukes Saul and then says in verse 14, But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord commanded him, to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Small concessions, small compromises, small movements out from underneath God's authority. God will anoint a king who will submit to his heart, who will obey his words, who will rule according to his ways. Saul has a heart defect a faulty tendency in his inner man, his mind, his will, and his heart. Saul is a rebel at the core. When the pressure is up in Saul's life, when the cards are down and he needs to make a decision, he buckles under the pressure of God's word. And he moves towards small compromises that grow and build over time. And God is looking for a man after his own heart. Look at verses 8 through 10. Then Jesse called Abinadab, and made him pass before Samuel. And Samuel said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And Samuel said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are these all your sons? Uh, and, and Jesse said, There remains yet the youngest. It could mean the smallest. But behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. And Jesse sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. And then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now David is either the youngest or the smallest of Jesse's sons. So insignificant, so out of the realm of possibility that he's not even invited to the sacrifice. He's left to shepherd the sheep. Now he is striking. He's a redhead. He's handsome with beautiful eyes. So there's something about him though that makes him unlikely. That makes this surprising. It might be because he's the youngest. It might be because he's exceptionally short. We don't know. But he has the heart of a king. God is not looking at the outward appearance. God is looking at the content of the heart. And God tells Samuel to stand up and anoint this one. Now if you know the story of David from this point forward, you know that he will not be a perfect shepherd for God's people. He is a human king plagued by the persistent presence of sin. And yet there is a faithfulness in David. Where Saul tended toward rebellion, David tends toward faithfulness. 
There's something almost New Testament about David's relationship with God. He's passionate about worshiping God. He delights in God. He treasures Him. And his heart is also somewhat responsive to correction. He's tender toward rebuke. We think perhaps of Nathan's correction after David mistreats Bathsheba and murders Uriah. Notice how the Holy Spirit rushes upon David from that day forward. The Holy Spirit lives with David, was with David. It's a unique relationship that David enjoys with God. As we'll see next week, the Spirit will leave King Saul, but the Spirit remains with David and empowers David to live a life that is somewhat unique among saints in the Old Testament. See, the Spirit's presence makes David a man after God's heart. David is a faithful shepherd, not a perfect shepherd for God's people, but a broadly faithful one. Courageous to follow God into tough spots, tender toward God's voice, and just in his dealings with others. But even faithful David will sin against his people. David cannot be the ultimate source of security and rest for his people. David's authority should be a blessing to his people. And God will use David's authority to bring peace and justice for his people, to bring prosperity and order and comfort to the land of Israel. But David will sin against his people too. David will sinfully abdicate his authority, refusing to lead. Doing nothing, for example, when one of his sons violates his half-sister. No justice, no accountability from David. Doing nothing when his general, Joab, murders Abner and Amasa. No justice, no accountability from David in his lifetime. And there are times when David will sinfully abuse his authority. He will take more than one wife. He will take other men's wives. He will have a man murdered in order to paper over his own sin. Which teaches us that even good, faithful leaders who are human will rebel against God's authority and sin against the people of God that he's given them responsibility to lead. All leaders must submit to the authority of God in his word. And all those who are led must hold leaders accountable to God's authority in his word. No leader may step outside of God's authority, either in abdication or in abuse, without discipline. Here's Jeremiah 23, verse 1. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Woe to those who destroy my sheep and scatter them, the ones who are in my pasture, my sheep. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Here are four quick application points. This is a call for us to heed the correction that God gives to Samuel. To pick leaders based on the quality and the content of the heart, not the outward appearance. Leaders who love God, who submit to his word, who walk in his ways. That's what we're looking for in Christian leaders. Number two, this is a call to love leaders enough to pray for their holiness. 
Do you pray for the holiness of those who are in authority over you? Do you hold the leaders accountable? Do you help them obey Paul's charge to Timothy? Where he says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourselves and your hearers. 1 Timothy 4.16. Third, this is a call to avoid suspicion and cynicism toward leaders. It's so tempting, isn't it, when we see so many fall. Even as we hold leaders to the higher standard their position requires, we must also respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13. Do you know what's really easy right now because of the internet? It's to follow leaders who are far away because all you have is their faithful teaching. You're not in danger necessarily of their life. And so it's easy to rely on leaders. I do it. I love listening to great preaching. And we can listen too much and overemphasize leaders who are far away instead of leaning in and loving and caring and praying for leaders who are among you. Self-protection is understandable, but deadly to the thriving and flourishing righteous authority should bring. And here's the fourth. This is a call for us to put our ultimate hope in God, not human authority. David is a faithful shepherd, but we need a better shepherd. We need a king's heart who will match the king's appearance. The abusive, abdicating authority of Israel's shepherds destroyed and scattered God's people who were in God's pasture. The creative flourishing and the peaceful ordering that should come as the blessing of godly authority vanishes and the people scatter and are driven away. But there's hope. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply, and I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall any be missing. And onto the stage steps one particular leader from a backward city of Nazareth. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. No beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He was a man that we would not esteem. He was a poor carpenter who had no place to lay his head. He was rejected by his own people. He was betrayed and he was shamefully executed. But he was a good shepherd. The good shepherd provided by God, who would totally submit to God, who would be the exact representation of the eternal God in creation. To see this good shepherd was to see his father in heaven. He revealed the father perfectly to us, showing us what God's heart was like. He loved others like God. He lived perfectly according to God's word, and he defended his people. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. 
He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. Verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 18. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus the good shepherd will succeed where all other shepherds of God's people have failed and will fail. This good shepherd Jesus will never abdicate his authority. He will always exercise perfect justice. He will always defend his people. He will stare down our great spiritual enemy until he cowers in the corner. He will reward his own on the day he returns. And this good shepherd will never abuse authority. He is trustworthy. He's always righteous. He always acts for the good of his own sheep. For to us a child is born, Isaiah 9 says. To us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulders. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The good shepherd will do this for his people. Now, as you think about human authority in your life, at home, at work, at school, in the world, or at church, let rebellious leaders, ones who flee from underneath God's authority, point you to the good shepherd, always righteous, all the time, and ready to bring a righteous reign forevermore. And let faithful leaders who will still struggle points you to the good shepherd who will never fail, never falter, never fall. Behold, let us stand in awe. Magnify the powerful good shepherd that God provided. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we look to you, the good shepherd. We look to you in times of plenty. We look to you in times of want. We pray for your grace in our midst. We pray for your help and strength. We pray that we would behold you with clarity. As we move through the life of David and see the greatness of faithful shepherds and kings and leaders and the struggles of faithful shepherds, kings, and leaders, that we would look to you, our righteous king. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.